Thanks for joining us on Why Theory. On this episode, Todd and I talk about fake news without ever talking about fake news. Yeah, you should be excited. Why Theory is a podcast that brings philosophy and psychoanalytic theory together to explain cultural phenomena. I hope you like this episode. Actually, I think that we should just get stuck into the conversation. No, no, no introduction. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, today uh, we're talking about uh, fake news and uh, not literal fake news, but the sort of the, the psychic uh, and intellectual structure that undergirds it. And so there are two items that occasion this conversation. One is something that I'm seeing as a teacher at a university where students are increasingly distrustful of uh, news articles. They're looking almost manically for, like, quote, you know, bias-free sources. And that's not – what these students are looking for is uh, some kind of external – validation, like something, something outside of themselves to say, this stuff is true. I can trust this. I don't have to like think about it. So that's one thing I want to kind of drop that and come back to it later. But this whole idea has a, an earlier residence in, uh, resonance. I think I said residence, uh, but that probably both work in the uh, history of, of philosophy, which is uh, going back to Hegel and the moment that occasioned uh, the phenomenology of spirit. And he begins uh, that work by talking about the um, the pervasiveness of uh, sense certainty as uh, the basis for for knowledge and the how like fallacious this is. But I think we are absolutely in the moment where one cannot trust uh, sources outside oneself. That that it is uh, permissible to say that you can't trust anything. Uh, so what does someone believe? Only that which they can touch and smell or, or, or whatever. And, and it's not a surprise that, you know, we live in a moment where more people believe the earth is flat than ever before. And you can only get to that perspective by disregarding all evidence outside of yourself against that thing. So anyway, uh, Todd, I want to actually invite you into this conversation that sure. I'm just having by myself yeah. uh, right now. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So I thought so it was an interesting about... conversation by yourself. So I don't know that <laughs> well, I want to interrupt it. Maybe it can just continue the whole time. Well, I mean, it'll certainly make it easier for you. And it may actually make it easier for me to produce because then I'm just doing Yeah, then track. there's no, there's only one side of the conversation. There's yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that um, Hegel in, you know, 1806, 18, end of 1806, beginning of 1807, Phenomenology is published 1807, but he finishes at the end of 1806. Um already was dealing with the same kind of issue that we're dealing with. So so phenomenology, first there's a preface, then there's an introduction, and then the first chapter, as you just mentioned, is called mm-hmm. Sense Certainty. And it's Hegel's idea is that this is the most seemingly immediate form of knowledge. Like it's knowledge that comes, from, as the term suggests, from our senses, from sight, from hearing. Interesting, you said from touch and from taste. Um, yeah. Smell, I guess. Um, yeah. But I mean, Hegel focuses mostly on what you what you see, and yeah. and his his idea is that you think this knowledge is like most immediate, and it's not. The key for him is that we we think we can trust it because it's not subject to any mediation. That is, there's right. no other, there's no external force that's 
that's determining it for us. And mm-hmm. but what he what he uncovers is, and I think this is pretty. This is, I think, most people think that the dialectic of the master and the slave is the greatest part of the phenomenology. But I I I think there's an argument to be made for other chapters, but also for this first one on sense certainty, especially for its appropriateness for today. Mm-hmm. And so his, his idea, as you know, is that, that even the most immediate uh, sensorial perception of something is in, or sensorial apprehension of something, because perception is the next chapter, um, mm-hmm. is, involves some kind of universal. Like in his, his examples of the universal are this, here, now, those kind of, like, these things that we think are just immediate perceptions or immediate apprehensions of something, they're actually involved with universals that we can't avoid. So, Mm -hmm. so the idea is that even what we think is immediate is mediated, or to put it in the terms that you were just using, even what we think is free of bias, because we're just knowing it immediately, is itself inflected with some kind of bias. I thought, okay, so when you were talking, I thought of a I wish I remembered the game where this happened but uh there's a uh there's an example uh that I remember like uh, like a, a a clear example of this of what Hegel's talking about uh it happened in in a world cup match in the last world cup so the I guess is it had been uh 2014 and this was the first uh this is the first year that they introduced a goal line technology. Like, so like a, right. you know how it, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you know how yeah. in, in tennis they have, it's the same thing. It's the, the Hawkeye uh, technology. Right. Um, so it can tell if the ball ever really fully cl- crossed the goal line or not. So whether it's a goal or not. Yes, absolutely. Right. So right. Um, the, the game, let me see. So it was some game and it was a, it was a British announcer uh, I, I don't know, probably Martin Tyler. I, I don't know who it was. And then it was uh, uh, Casey Keller, who is a former, you may know the name, he was a former U.S. goalkeeper, and he was doing the, um, the color commentary on, the this, color, yeah. on this game. And it was the first time that the, um, that the goal line technology had to, w- was going to be used because it was, it was really hard to tell, like from the broadcast, from any TV angle, if, the, if this ball, I forget the two teams that were playing, uh, but if the ball had crossed the line. And the goal line technology said, yes, that it did. And, or, and Casey Keller immediately said, I don't know about that. And the, Martin, like the, the British guy was like, are you, are you serious? And, and he's like, I mean, I can't, I mean, can you really tell? And there was a pause. I remember in the broadcast, and it was like, like, do you? And what he was, the the pause was, is like, do you not know how this works? Like, do you not, do you not understand how this technology works? But what what was in that moment was, and I think that it's it's um, excellent uh, and and poignant for the moment that it was an American who was distrustful of the the, the technology of the mediation and not uh, someone, right. uh, not a European, uh, basically. So, um, but. Th- that's that. I mean, that's everything in, in 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 sort of a nutshell. Is like you know, I couldn't see it. I don't have trust in this in this technology. This technology says that that you that that it works perfectly. But like, do you really know? And that's like that's what it is, right? It's like, but do you really yeah. know? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the problem, right? Like people, like the 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 thought is like, is if there's any mediation at all involved in it, then. I, I automatically am going to be suspicious of it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, what, but ironically, 
what we should be suspicious of, and this is, I think, Hegel's point in, in the sense certainty chapter, we should be suspicious of what passes itself off as immediate knowledge because it's all there's always these layers of mediation that are involved in our whatever our immediate apprehension right, is. Right, exactly. And so that's the key. So so the mediation would be like, you know, like why did he like you know, just it could be just a very simple thing. Like, why did he want there to be a goal, or why did he want there not to be a goal? Yeah. Like, maybe he wanted a closer game. Sure. Maybe he wanted a, the one team to win. You know, yeah. like all these things are, are, or, or even probably more probably, he wanted the technology not to be exactly because accurate. Because right? that is, right. I mean, because it's totally a thing. People don't want technology in soccer. You know, right? This the beautiful game. Like it, it, the, right. the, the resistance to technology in soccer is stronger than that. I think in in any other sport, uh, right. basically, or you know, major major sport. I so what's interesting about what Hegel's talking about is that he. Like, we could actually go back, I think, even further to, to like, another um, philosophical intellectual moment where, like, this was still a, um, where sense certainty was, uh, like, considered the the mode of, of knowledge. I mean, uh, doesn't Aristotle write about this in, um, yeah. it, where yeah. where I think he, he has this, this section of, I, I think it's in the, I want to say it's in, uh, I want to say it's in metaphysics. I could be wrong. It could be in the Nico. Um and where anyway, where he, he talks about like a body being in a pool and, and like or like a pool of water and that like if, yeah. if you were to touch your hand in a pool of water, you actually cannot your one hand cannot touch the other hand that no matter what you do, there is still going to be water between it. And right. um, and we actually we know. So now we have microscopes that like look like, you know, subatomically like we know that. It's even it's even truer than that that you actually can't ever touch anything like you can't. It is true. Yeah, you right, can't right, like it right, like right. even without water. Like there's still there's gonna, right. there's something between you and the thing that you're touching like at all right. times. Yeah, it's a kind of interesting way in which a philosophical insight becomes confirmed by modern. I mean, I think I mean that's a whole other question. I think the mm-hmm. relationship between modern science and philosophy. Sure. But I think that's this is a case where. A certain philosophical insight gets confirmed by, by you know, like, like even don't you think even like Heraclitus's notion that that all is becoming, and there is no rest. Mm. I mean, like, that's exactly confirmed by modern science. So even yeah. when a body yeah. seems mm-hmm. like totally at rest, yeah, it's actually totally in motion. Yeah. So there is the it's a, so there is this kind of like so there's this incredible kind of insight. And it takes like you know, three thousand years for it to be confirmed. Right. But well, yeah. and what's yeah. in both what Aristotle said and what uh, Hegel says and what science says uh, is you can only ever have. I think this is the key phrase. I think you probably. I think you actually have written this. Um, so I'm stealing this from you. Is you can only ever have a mediated immediacy. That's right. That, that's right. that's all that that that's as close as you can get. Um, is some form of, of mediation as we were talking about with the, the Casey Keller example. So even, even with your, your eyes, it's not like you're always looking through a veil or something like that. It's just, you're always, uh, you're always looking through your own subjectivity and that's the, the mediation. And you're, you're looking through, you know, you're looking through uh, a desire or, or, or right or through desire. I think desire, right. Yeah. I think desire or your, your, I mean, and the sort of phantasmatic frame that 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 
shapes the way that you desire, right? Right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah so... Okay. I would also say that, Ryan, I think that's really good. I, I would also say that um, immediacy is the... That, that I almost think that that's the primal form of ideology. Maybe yeah. just ideology today, but, but I do feel like this idea that, you know, I can have some... My, my immediate apprehension of something is truer mm, mm-hmm. than any kind of, you know, mediated or, 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 or inflected apprehension of something. I think that's... Like, if you believe that, then you, it seems like you're much more susceptible to being, uh, to being manipulated ideologically. Yeah, yeah no, right? I think that's totally like, right. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. It, it, I mean... It, it, For one thing, doesn't, aren't, don't so many things that are utterly ideological appear commonsensical once you accept that? I was just right? going like, to, this is exactly what I was just going to say. It was like, think yeah. about how many times you ever see in like advertising that's like, you know, trust yourself. You know, just like, right, like something, right. something like that, where, where it's like, you know, don't don't listen to anybody else. Like, you know, right. you can do it uh, Buy the Coke or whatever, you know, get buy these Nike shoes or something like that. Like and and right. it's um, and to, to that's like one of those things where like when you when you I don't want to say like give in, but maybe when you buy in, when you buy into that kind of uh, thinking, like you you make a uh, likely unconscious, but like a little willing uh, d- decision to disregard other things that you know. You know, like, it's like, I know very well uh, these shoes come from slave labor, but even still, I'm going to get them because, right. you know... You, well, for one thing, you don't see it. Yeah. I mean, that's the yeah. thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when you buy a phone, you don't see the kid digging for, for you know, coltan in the, com- in the Congo right. or, what, you know, whatever. Or like, yeah. whatever the... Whatever the, the or the, the, or the, the person in the factory that throws himself out of the building because it's over the building. To yeah, work. Yeah. Not, yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's right. So, you know, you, but you know that the phone is pleasurable, and yeah. or that the you know the pair of shoes are feel nice on your feet. Yeah. So those kind of immediacies, uh, they trump the other. Uh-huh. You know, like the any potential mediated knowledge. Totally. I, I absolutely, and it's it's. Um, and so, like, so there are two things here, right? Where, where, like, I think one could hear what we're saying, and I think the, I think actually, an, an available, it's wrong, but it's easy conclusion would be like, well, since you can never apprehend anything directly, actually, you can't trust anything, and right. you, you know, you can right. trust nothing, and that's like the. I mean, that's it's the skeptical position. It's right? the, yeah, yeah, but it's the. I mean, is it or is it cynical? Because this is what I, I, I sort of. Um, you were going to say cynical. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's well. I think that's probably right. I think it's probably cynical that every. I mean, it's it's sort of both. But um, I think it's true that that. Um, so there's two. There's, like the way that I think what you were going to get at, if I'll kind of yeah, where, you're, where you're going, that that, you know that that. The belief that the tr- most trustworthy knowledge is immediate has its correlate in an utter paranoia about mm. every other kind of, you know, position that's being articulated. And so that I think those two things really like conspiratorial thinking mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. belief in immediacy, ironically, go hand in hand. But what's ironic is that conspiratorial thinking requires all these layers of mediation. <laughs> right, right. right. 
Oh, but it's yeah. because you don't trust the thing that's in that's that's sort of the immediate, not immediate, but the directly mediated thing in front of you. Like, oh, this is just you know, like something that comes over CNN. It must be, you know, there must be some other thing manipulating it. And of course, mm-hmm. in some sense, there is. Right? Sure. Like, like, you know, there's some way in which that paranoid thinking is is not totally is not totally wrong. But uh, but. The, the psychic benefit that you get from the paranoia is that's where the error lies. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and, and paranoia is such... Uh, well, I mean, th- this is the whole... Um, I, 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 I said this to you once before, that uh, there for many, many people, they have adopted the... Um, uh, the attitude toward... Um, like, I think... I think they think that they've done the opposite, but what they... that, that they're doing, but... Uh, it's expressed at the end of Spinal Tap by uh, Michael McKean's character, um, who I don't believe is David St. Hubbins, I think, or maybe it is. But anyway, oh yeah, it is. He's David St. Hubbins. And he says at the end of the, the movie, in just like a little clip that they include because there's just so much funny stuff that those characters did in that largely improvised film, he says that right. he believes everything he reads, which he thinks makes him a more discerning reader. <laughs> and that's like, it's right. just such a great line, it's such a great logic, but when you say like saying that like you can't trust any news like oh uh, CNN has liberal bias Fox News has conservative bias that when like you say you can't trust anything it's exactly the same as trusting everything like it, right. it's it's the no, it's, true. it's the exact same thing and it's a lie anyway because when you say that like well I don't I you know you can't trust if someone says like you just simply can't trust uh, uh, Fox News Fox News shows that you can't trust news well that person still gets news from somewhere and right. it, it, they, there is that that trust embedded in it. So it just it kind of I don't know. It sort of exposes that that lie. But it, what everybody and I mean I guess this goes back to the thing that I said about students earlier is I think what everybody is looking for is I don't want to I don't want to say something as as simple as like is to not think for themselves because that's like a very um, that's like a popular like thing just like you could see that on a blog but like yeah. but I, I that's okay no okay <laughs> but I think I think um not that people don't want to but I think that there is an uncomfortability about what um measures one needs to take to th- sort of think something through critically well go, right go ahead yeah, well, I would just say that that like the the appeal of paranoia is that there is this hidden secret validate like validating authority for yes. my position and and I think that but that that only I have access to I mean that's the other thing like mm-hmm. I have a secret like it's not relying on yourself it's relying on this secret authority that no one else sees and so I think mm-hmm. what's interesting is the way in which that coincides with uh, this belief in the the absolute priority of immediate knowledge mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. like the like it, it the the, ir- the irony is that it leads to this like ultimate conspirator like ultimate yeah. mediation of of knowledge by some authority that's hidden that's you know behind the scenes and sort of like uh, pulling the strings. Well, yeah, that's so, the, that. Can I? I just want to jump in and make that yeah, very yeah. very yeah. concrete. Like that's the thing about every conspiracy theory is you're right is that they they all almost most of them I, I want to say like uh, they end at a place where where it's. And then I don't know what is it like. Oh, then actually the Jews are controlling everything, or or it doesn't it doesn't have to be Jewish people. It can be there is as you just said, 
there is some force controlling world events. And what that means is that there is not a random and arbitrary nature to life that there is, that there is a secular God in in a sense that. Right. Well, yeah, God for sure. sure. Like a, yeah, I think that's right. But I also would say, look, we live in a, we live in a pretty organized capitalist world, right? Mm -hmm. So, so there is, there are sort of forces behind the scenes that are, you know, like determining what comes on the news. But yeah. I guess the, to me, the, the, the problem with paranoia is that it thinks that those forces themselves don't have an unconscious. Like yeah. they're like, well, they're totally the intentional. Be- right. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, that they, they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so, or that they can know what they're doing and then do what they know that they're doing, <laughs> which they can't like their, 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 their plot, even if there is a plot, it's always going to have these effects that are totally beyond what are the planned effects are. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, it seems to me like that's where your notion of the secular God is right. Like there's a, this appeal to this figure behind the scenes, like, you know, Wizard of Oz or something. Sure. But yeah, right, right. I mean, that's what's great about that film, actually, mm-hmm. is that it show it, it like constructs the paranoid world. And then it, it sort of shows it's just this weak guy back there. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's got other problems, I think, but I think that part of it is pretty, is pretty great, Mm -hmm. right? That, Mm -hmm. that it shows that like that, or like, that's an image of, that's how we should think of God. Like that's, Mm -hmm. you know, God's trying his best, but you know, he's, he's got an unconscious too. And, and that's why things, you know, aren't working out in the way that they, (laughs) they might. It's a mushroom. I mean, Lacan famously Mm -hmm. says the, 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 the only formula for atheism is God is unconscious. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that's that's probably I mean, I, I guess the only thing I would say to that is I don't think that's atheist. No. Like I think I think like you can be a theist and say yeah, God's unco- like God's not doing a great job. That, that's kind of um, uh, that's as close to deism, which is what the most of the which is I think all of the founding fathers I know, but you don't, know, little... don't don't the deists think that that God set things up right. and backed like, away. God sets things up, but he set them up pretty well. Yeah, I guess that's probably true. Right. So th- like, I mean, they're all like enlightenment philosophers who think things are headed in the proper direction. <laughs> right. You know? Which, and, you know, we can, you know, now we're here. It's pretty clear that they're not. They're not. Yeah. yeah the total yeah. corruption of all, all the, those uh, ideas. Well, I mean, I mean, this is a great place to go back to Hegel. So like, um, cause he, he's obviously thinking in another part of the world, but like he's thinking through, uh, at the same time as like, you know, the fine right. founding fathers right. and democracy, et cetera. And right. so the, I th- can I just say something please. about that? I think that he's trying to, to philosophize the idea. I, I'm, this is not original with me, but <laughs> the ideas of the French revolution, yeah, like right. he's trying to articulate that revolutionary practice into a philosophy. Mm. So I think it, I just underlining what you said, yeah. I think that, you know, there is a clear link between, you know, those thinkers of enlightenment revolution and, and what Hegel's doing philosophically. Yeah. So, um, I guess, uh, this would be a a good point for me to, uh, to ask you to outline, uh, for listeners, like what is, um, I mean, maybe we've done that, done this in this conversation, but, uh, what is, uh, how does Hegel move beyond, uh, sense certainty? Like, like what is the, what is the outline for moving, uh, uh, past that, I guess? Well, okay, so his, his, he, he says this thing, which is quite interesting. So he, first of all, he says, look, any attempt to, to 
apprehend something through sense certainty involves universalizing, whether it's just with little words like this, here, now. Like I say, mm -hmm. this moment here, and I try to say, all I'm thinking about is this. But once I say this, I've already put it into a universal, and I can talk about it in relationship to other thises, mm -hmm. and the this is never the same as the one that came before. Like, you know, like if, if you ever try to play this game, like now, 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 I want to think of this exact moment in time mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. only that, yeah. but then it's immediately gone. But Hegel's point is when you use the universal now or this, then it doesn't just go away. You actually are able to apprehend it and kind of preserve it. Mm. But you only do that by having recourse to some kind of universal. So even these little terms, which we think are the most immediate kind of terms imaginable, Hegel thinks are implicated in the universal. And thus, what we're doing when we apprehend something through sense certainty is actually thinking through it via certain universals that we have. Even so, so for him, there's no way, there are no truths that are just immediate. Mm. They're all, and so the, the, the point is to take stock of the way, I mean, this is, I think you could make the argument that the whole phenomenology is a way of taking stock of the way in which mediation plays a role in, in, in our coming to truth. And then, you know, finally, at the end, the point is that, that there is in this mediate all like once we understand all the mediation that's at work, there is even in that there's a way in which there's a hole in it. There's it, that, that there's a kind of incompletion or a contradiction at the heart of that. And so that's the limit to knowledge that's found only within knowledge. Mm -hmm. So it's a, that, but I, you know, that's a sort of other story, but the, the way he gets beyond sense certainty is the way he sees the way in which the universal is implicated in the most, you know, sense certain type of knowledge. Although what's mm -hmm. interesting is that he does, he has this, he has this, he says, look, the, to prove sense certainty is wrong, just write down like it is now 1230, right? right. Or, he doesn't choose that sure, time, sure. but whatever, 1230, mm -hmm. it is now noon. And then five minutes later, you read that and it's, it's no longer true. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it is now noon. It's now 1205. So you can, and so he's like, that proves that for him, that's like definitive proof that sense certainty isn't true. Mm -hmm. And then he says this fascinating thing. He says, a truth can never, never loses anything by being written down. Mm, that's really nice. You know? Yeah, so it's, yeah. so, so I think the sense certainty person advocate mm -hmm. would say, no, no, no. I, I, my truth has nothing to do with, writing it down, yeah. keeping track of it. It's just purely in the moment. Mm -hmm. And his, his idea is that, no, that's, then that's nothing. Yeah. That's like just fleeting. It's, it's sort of gone. You know, it's, not, it's mm -hmm. like you have to be able to, to articulate something as a truth. You have to be able to register it. That's fantastic. And, yeah. I, I don't know. I find that pretty appealing. Yeah. Although, well, doesn't, yeah, it, doesn't it imply, I, I think like, uh, one, one of the things I'm getting at this, uh, out of this is I, but I mean, it, it confirms what I already think, but maybe that's not a problem is that like you, uh, truth requires work it, and, and it, it requires right. like, like serious thinking through like actual, like intellectual labor to, to get to. And right. it's the thinking of truth. Like, I love that, that, that line from Hegel because it's radically against, um, I mean, how much, how, how I mean, you, to go back to like, uh, capital and how, uh, capital advertises itself, like how much is advertised by living in the moment? 
right? Like, like is that right, not exactly. like, like the exactly. position of like purchasing products or like, or like, or maybe right. even, you know, you could have the same advertising campaign for like, uh, you know, again, like some consumer product, but also like, Hey, get beyond consumer products, go, uh, uh, like go base jumping and live in the moment, you know, like, like that's like right. to go and, and it, oh, that's the great, that's a great part of t- today's ideology. I think yeah. this, this idea of like live the extreme, live in the moment, yeah. you know, all that kind of thing, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, is interestingly tied to the philosophy of immediacy, right? right. Like, mm-hmm. like the, the, pr- like all we have is this moment and you gotta, you gotta really live it to the utmost. Right. Cause like you can't trust the, anything else. Cause there's no truth right, anywhere right. else. There's only truth, there's no in, truth. The, in the immediate moment. Right. right. I, I do want to say a word about truth, you know, sure. because, uh, Hegel is not, he does not have a naive correlationist view of truth. Like mm-hmm. what I say correlates to some, object and like I if I say this is a lamp and it really is a lamp then that's true I mean that's not his view of truth his view of truth is always internal to knowledge mm. like it's it does knowledge cohere within itself and that's how you find out whether it's true or not so and it, you know he has this interesting uh, line in the preface phenomenology where he says a spirit which is sort of what he means by subjects mm-hmm. Spirit wins to its truth only when it finds itself utterly torn asunder. Right. Yes. Yep. So, mm-hmm. so this notion that like truth isn't, it, it's not when things totally cohere perfectly. It's when they cohere perfectly, and then you realize that there there's a there's a fissure within mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. that coherence, and it's the fissure that's the is where the truth lies. You know, a, so. a friend of mine who listened to our um, Blade Runner uh, episode. Uh, he he said to me that he like he, one that it made him like he felt like he finally understood uh, ideology and that he was was talking about like that um, the break of Trump being elected for him like that uh, of of like what he how he saw the world and and and, and mm-hmm. what what he he knew of it with Trump being elected like that for him was like I mean is that not I mean is that not like a uh, uh, you know, when, when something is like utterly ripped asunder, like that's, and like, it's this, yeah, it's this fissure, yeah, you know, yeah, it's this fissure yeah. of this, like, uh, this, what is it? Like this, the, this liberal notion of progress, we're just going to move forward in right. little steps and, the, and that's going to be the status quo mostly like proceed and that, you know, when Trump's elected and obviously that's not like, n- like, no, you know, anyway. Right. I think that, I think that, um, I think that, uh, you know, I think World War One had that effect for a lot of people in Europe, right? Oh, like man, there was yeah. this, there was a long period of relative peace in Europe, and then all of a sudden, there's this incredible, you know, senseless. Like it doesn't even happen for real mm-hmm. reasons, and and then senseless, like an, an incredible bloody conflict, and then all of a sudden, this notion of of progress gets kind of, well, you know, and, and I mean, one could even argue, I think, that modernism is is is. I mean, it's it sort of predates World War One, but it do, it's. I think there is some sense that modernism is a is a grappling with the the failure of the progressive vision. Certainly, right? well, I mean, I think when I when I think of like when you just talk about World War One, I, I, I thought of two things. One, of about how in World War One the British put soldiers in red coats and had them line up in a line to fire at the Germans and everyone was just killed by, you know, machine gun fire. But secondly, um, Rupert Brooks, uh, poem, his 
which I, I believe is referred to as the last optimistic war poem. Right. Because it right. begins, if I should die. If I should die, think only this of me. If. Like, not I'm going to. Not war means right. people don't come back. But but if, you know? And right. and the war happens and I, we don't, we don't have that if any longer, you know, like that's like a, right. that's like a real, right. it, you know, if you like truth in the way that, um, Hegel is talking about, like right. the removal right. of that if is, is, tr- is truth. Right. Yes. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I feel like that there's, I mean, it, it seems like there's so much in, you know, what Hegel's saying and then how it speaks to, the contemporaries, like the, you know, I was thinking when you're talking about this, what I would say is that our predominant mode is what I would maybe call hermeneutics of suspicion. Yes. So that everything that, you know, the source is suspect, that what is said is suspect. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then because what, and I think the root of that is the two things, right? Like the belief that the only knowledge that counts is immediate knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then the correlate that, I need this ultimate authority that can only that that can finally validate this beyond any question, which is that's the that's the paranoid mm-hmm. position. So I feel like that that suspicion. Well, but what, what's funny to me is, uh, you know, like in some sense, the original challenge to ideology comes out of suspicion. Right. Right. Yeah. So so not. It's, it's, it can't be, the physician can't be, oh, we should just give up suspicion altogether. Right, right? No, of course. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, I mean, that's, the, that's like, I mean, I think it's, it's probably true that that's the great Cartesian breakthrough of modernity. Like, he, he doubts, like, that's the, that's the and Hamlet doubts, right, too, right? Like, yeah. Hamlet, you know, Hamlet gets the message from his father, and he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, maybe, but I'm going <laughs> to check it out for myself. Right. And, like, that's the, which is the... What I love about that in Hamlet is the amazing contrast with Titus Andronicus, which is avenge me. Yeah, yeah I'm going to do, gonna it, do it. Yeah, just, just going to do it. <laughs> just, right? Yeah. There's just no question. <laughs> and so it's like clear that you could almost make the argument that like within that, I don't know what's the difference, like eight years between Titus so. and Hamlet, mm-hmm. and like within that time, like modernity happened yeah. or something, right? Hmm. That's interesting. So yeah, I don't know. So so I feel like on the one hand. I think there's a problem with this hermeneutics of suspicion, which leads to your, like the problem you described with your students. Yes. But then on the other hand, I think you can't give up the position of radical doubt that sustains modern subjectivity. So here's where I think it, the, I actually think it comes back to truth because the, it's totally fine. And, and I encourage like, I like the, obviously I, I, you know what I would hope anybody listening to this, not like, I would hope no one would think that, like, we're saying, like, well, you should just, you need to believe all mainstream media sources. Right, or, believe CNN. Y- yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. That, that's not it. It's like <laughs> what you actually need to believe in, you know, and maybe it is belief, I don't know, but you, or you need to know that there is, you know, that there is truth because it can't be like, well, since we can't trust this and, and I can't trust this and that there are problems with this, that the end result can't be, well, therefore nothing matters. Or, like, therefore, like, it's just... Well, I mean, that's just my perspective or like the great or the great line from Big Lebowski. Well, that's just like your opinion, man. Right. Like, you know, so (laughs) like (laughs) so that that can't be the end end point of like any kind of intellectual inquiry. Like there has to be if we're if we are uh, pushing forward 
from a motive of suspicion and and we're we're taking we're taking things apart and we're we're looking at how how this argument work like what, what how does this source work like how does this fit in with some sort of like larger ideological structure like the end of it has to be uh, productive and it, and it, and and I think that's where uh, cynicism has truly won which is right. that uh, the end of that kind of investigation often leads people to conclude, well, that there's not, nothing matters, that nothing they do matters, well, there's no purchase on this world, my vote doesn't matter, etc. Like well, I think, doesn't it come back to the, the point about the universal, and I think this is the point that Hegel is making, like, you cannot say, this is just my opinion. Yeah. Like, you, you just cannot say it, because, I mean, clearly you're physically able to say it, of course, but... Yeah. But, but logically, you can't say it, because when you say that, you're saying, like, you're, there are all these other implications behind what you're saying. You know, mm-hmm. like, you're saying, I, I posit that we live in a world where everyone exists in isolation from each other, and there's no connection between my articulation of this opinion and what your view, your opinion is, mm-hmm. right? Which, so there's all these kind of, I mean, that's the mediation behind that that claim. But I think that claim is pretty common. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like even, I mean, I think, you know, even in the, even in political debate, we often hear this, I think like, well, this is just my opinion, right. you know, I, rather than to like tread on the universal, I think mm-hmm. there's a real kind of, you know, uh, allergy to the universal that, that, that gets, it, it finds expression in this view, like, or this this articulation. This is just my opinion. Right. This is just it's just a particular you know, from my perspective. Yeah. It's just particular. It's just it, and again. I think it ties back to what you know Hegel would call sense certainty. Mm. So and that yeah. and that all all particulars are 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 equal, right? Like that's that's the other thing in right. that sort of kind of political right. debate. That's like and this is the problem with to you know this is the problem with the very recent uh, New York Times uh, article about the. Um, the Midwestern Nazi, uh, the Nazi, yeah. you know, and in the article, there is at no at no point uh, is there. A, it's just an expose on how you know this Nazi is really just like us, and He's like just another person. It's just another right. person. When the point should be, as I've said to you before, is like. You know, like it, there's a kernel of that being a good idea, which is that like, look, we can't think of of Nazis as, uh, you know, and and white supremacists as as mo- anomalies, as exactly as anomalies, as monsters right. who are like right. uh, just aberrations. Like we need to see right. that they they are people among us, but it can't be like, hey, they're just people among us, you know, and like right. th- th- this. Didn't you say this to me that that rather than saying the Nazi is just like us, it should be we're just like the Nazi? Yeah, l- yeah, yeah. Like, like I think isn't that the greatness of a film like Silence of the Lambs? The mm-hmm. point isn't, oh, Lecter is just one of us. Yeah. It's that oh no no no, we're actually invested in Lecter. Like at the end of the film, mm-hmm. when he says I'm having an old friend for dinner, yes. you're like yeah, eat him. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and that's and you're like, oh my god! Like I want this serial killer to mm-hmm. eat somebody, yeah. and that's and that's to me like that's the great. So that that I think everything is in that direct. Like the sentimental film, the point of it is always to show how oh no, that anomalous that that monstrous figure is really just like us. Mm-hmm. Like look, it has a heart of that person has a heart of gold. Mm-hmm. There or they you know they really they were abused as a child. Whatever you know mm-hmm. like whatever. And then, 
and then we're supposed to feel, you know, some kind of connection. But then I think the 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 really the more radical film or the great film even or the great work of art shows the other direction, which is what you were right. Well, it's were talking it, about. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, and there, I was. Uh, it was it was nice to see. I think CNN had like a had a reply to to that um, uh, New York Times article, which was that like. And in that article was like sort of the point that that, that I that I made to you, which is that p- what people don't like to see themselves in in Nazis, like the, they really right. don't like it, and so that's the reaction. So like that's the the inclination to humanize them because it's it actually right. has nothing to do with the Nazi. It's all about you. It's all about the. the you know, the person performing that, that thing, it's like, well, you know, maybe I do kind of want, you know, a stronger fatherland. I wouldn't use that word, but it's very similar to what, you know? And so that's, uh, so that's actually the issue. So then when you realize you feel that way, like it, you know, it's not like, well, now I need to sympathize the Nazi or like, we're like, well, maybe they have a point. It's not like Zizek makes this great. No, it's the opposite of that. I think. Yeah, exactly. You need to, yeah, you need to imperil and, and, and really, really pull through like sort of your own belief. And like, why do you like, why are you thinking this way? And, and and whatever, like Zizek makes this great point. I I think actually in his essay that he writes in, uh, Jameson's collection on uh, an American utopia. Oh, on the utopia. yeah, Yeah. About how, um, the one cannot proceed with the idea that like, well, uh, you know, like a monster is just someone you don't know very well. Like, right. like it's kind of this point you're just making. Right. Like, so what if Hitler is the, the, the subject of the sentimental film? Like, this is basically what this New York times article does is, right. is like, if you knew Hitler better, does that mean like, like, let's say a, like Frankenstein's monster. Like if you knew Frankenstein's monster better, he's not right. really a monster. Well, if you knew Hitler better, is he not a monster? Like, or or is the claim that he would be more monstrous to you? Because that's, Don't you think, that's how yeah, it would actually... Yeah. But that's not how it would work out. But anyway, what, do you, what were you going to say? Now, I was going to say, do you think there's an... Do you think that... I just it made me think of what you were just saying, that is there an opposition between the film Frankenstein and the novel Frankenstein? Does the novel do what we were saying? Like, does the novel make you realize you're like right. the, monster, the monster? And then the, and then the film the thirties film, doesn't it make you, doesn't it, doesn't it make them, it sentimentalizes the monster. Yeah. Right? I mean, and that's what every single, with the child yeah. and all, you know, that crap and yeah. every yeah. single, even there's that ad campaign that they play at Christmas. You'll probably start seeing it where this like Frankenstein starts singing at like a tree. Right. Lighting, right. Right. You know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can't blame James whale for that one. Certainly but, not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but but maybe I mean maybe he sets up the possibility for that. But I think a lot of those mm-hmm. monster Universal monster films from the '30s and '40s that fall into that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I wonder though about contemporary. I don't watch it, but yeah. contemporary horror films, if they have the same, uh, do they sentimentalize yeah, the monster? The problem is actually there's um, one of the podcasts I like to listen to, um, the Flophouse. The, the, one of the people on there, Elliot, Elliot Kalin, made a really. He made, I, I thought he made a really nice point about like Frankenstein movies. They they are almost they're almost all the same. And so he he made this. This is just total aside. And I thought this was pretty good. That what he would like to see is a Frankenstein film, where Doctor Frankenstein actually can't bring life back. And what it, the film is actually about is Igor, who like really loves. Dr. Frankenstein and he and he's just supporting him and but he's like kind of like a fantasist 
and and he, yeah. he's not really able to bring life back, and that's just like anyway. So like that. Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah. that the Frankenstein yeah. is actually a, a fantasy. It's not a it, fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all those all those monster figures are. I mean. It's funny that that people don't talk about them as phantasmatic figures, right? Mm. Because that seems like obviously what they what they are. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, but anyway, so no, I no, 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 no. Fan- fantasy yeah. actually is a good uh, segue uh, because, like, the the sort of the 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 fantasy of uh, well, I think the conspiratorial uh, position. Uh, yeah. And and like the position of a lot of um, oh, I don't know like like what is it like your your Alex Jones you know like you <laughs> the people like this is that they're both um, involved in something but also not detected like they are this this uh, like like this is like this this fantasy of 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 objectivity right like like he that's and that this is like the right is far better at this than the the left is because the the left seems to be like holding they seem to be uh because the right has positioned the left as these people that are just uh holding up um old old values they they don't they mainstream mainstream value they won't give you the truth come here for the truth we have the truth and all of that sort of um info wars kind of thing is is uh is predicated on that fantasy that again that you're you are this uh, you you can you can see and and be not be seen right like that's right I mean that's that's the defining feature of every fantasy that you're both you're able to see it but you're not present in the scene and you're not taken into account by the scene right right like mm-hmm. that's the that's the great thing I mean that's why like you know porn is such a nice. Uh, you know, realm for mm-hmm. fantasy mm-hmm. because you're just what like they're performing mm-hmm. for you, but you're not. There's no. They, they try to minimize the the sense that you're involved in what you're seeing. Right. 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 Although there are moments, right, mm-hmm. like when the, <laughs> when the when the porn actress looks back and kind of sure looks right at the camera or something mm-hmm. or the or the or just whatever. I, I mean, just different moments. Well, I think it's probably well, it doesn't yeah. matter. Like even even if there even if we're talking about like a, a pornography where the like the actress is talking to the camera and like looking right at you, it's still yeah. a computer screen, you know, like it, there's yeah. still yeah. there's still to go back to Hegel. There is no immediacy there. There there is there is a fantasy of it there. But there is that that layer of distance between you right. and the and, and the thing and you, right. you need that but, actually for, right to, but to fantasy sustain. is like fantasy is a scenario that the subject can witness without being part of i mean that's i think the definition of fantasy and so so well then that's even that's even better than when the the actress looks you're actually not being looked at you're not being looked at yeah. right right yeah. there's no way you're being looked at yeah. i mean which is yeah yeah i think that's right yeah it, like right. it confirms so, the fantasy like you know that even yeah. even if you are looked at you are not looked at in a way unlike yeah. you know rear window when you know he when right when, rear window blue velvet when like you, all these fil- psycho yeah. these films where you as a spectator, you get implicated in mm-hmm. what you're seeing. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, when Lars Thorwald looks at Jimmy Stewart, you feel looked at, you know, like it's. It, yeah, but don't you, you think I, I see what you're saying? Yeah. But I think it's even more when it's not his actual look, but just that that lighted 
cigarette, oh, the cigarette in the yeah, window. I agree with you. Yeah, when yeah. you don't see his his because then when it's just a cigarette, you know that he's looking, but you don't know where he's looking. Where he's looking. Yeah. 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 yeah I think that's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I think I think there is a clear tie between that structure of fantasy and the appeal of paranoia because mm-hmm. it writes the subject out of it, mm. you know, like, and, and you're able to, and so you're able to kind of think that you're getting an objective perspective be, precisely because you're, you're written out as the, as the subject, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like it's all designed, around, but what's ironic is it's all designed around you yes. as the one being manipulated and yet you're written out of the story. Right, right. As, so, as the supposed objective observer. Yeah. Right. yeah so yeah. I guess so I guess this is the question uh, that I would want to ask is to pull it back to, you know, uh, you know, our students uh, who are um, like coming to uh, hopefully intellectual maturity in a, a uh, era where the common sense the growing the growing consensus is that uh, one simply cannot uh, trust anything. Like and and so like I'll just give sort of like a concrete example that there's um, I've been doing uh, grading for a uh, class in another discipline and the they have to have been looking at like news sources and and like in critiquing them and there's mm-hmm. one student had like a lot of trouble with this and finally like after weeks of me like saying like no it needs to be more specific you should go here or here and the student not doing that un- uh, until you know we met uh, he went to uh, procon.org you know this website yeah yeah and i and and did a thing on video games like why they're bad and then and we had this we, i had a conversation with him about it i was like i was like i know that you've been looking for bias-free sources, but you found, the, like, the most bias possible, right? It's just, right, that website right. is just, you either have this opinion or you have that opinion. All right, and, right. and Well, that's, an, yeah, I think that's true. I think the more that you search for some freedom from uh, bias, the more that you subject yourself to the uh, inescapability of some bias, right? right? And, like I, yeah. I think that's right, and I also feel like the 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 bias can be like I think the the error is that we don't see the bias itself as instructive. Yeah, like that's, that's part it. of the knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not. I mean, this would maybe take us into a long discussion, but I think bias isn't something you have to subtract to get to the knowledge. Yeah. Bias is part of the knowledge. Yes, and and. You know that the failure to see that is like is part of this whole. I think the way in which fantasy inflects, and the the fantasy of pure immediacy, first of all, inflects our you know ways of thinking about knowledge. Yeah, no, that's that's really really well put. Like that was where I was going, which was to say, like what I tell my students in the in literature classes is like if we if you're looking at a um, an unreliable narrator, the the perspective one needs to adopt to that is not like, oh, well, this narrator is unreliable, so I can't trust anything they say. It's like, no, 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 no. What you need to look for is you need to find what this uh, narrator's blind spot is and, like, like, what's the thing that, like, it's very, very hard for them 
to uh, like the, something that they are inclined to see in like one particular way. The example I always give is mm-hmm. Great Gatsby. Nick Carraway is very much inclined. I mean, the, as I said to you before, the title of the book is The Great Gatsby. So Nick Carraway is um, inclined to seeing Jay Gatsby as great as this, like person who really uh, suffered and, and like did something uh, like truly right. uh, significant. Uh, in the era in which he lived. And so any, so it's not like, Oh, well, anytime Nick Carraway says something, we need to, to, you know, distrust all the details. It's like, that's insane. Then any book is about anything, you know, that that has a first person narrator. It's, it's just that when he says something about Gatsby, you need to look at it and, and see where does, or, or Daisy or, you know, um, or like, where does it make someone look in a better light or in a worse light? And that's exactly what you said is that that bias, you don't subtract it. That bias tells you more. Once you can identify, it tells you more. It tells you right. more. It tells you more. Bias doesn't. Right. Exactly. I think that's right. Yeah. Like, like think about think about Lolita. If it wasn't narrated by Humbert Humbert, it would be totally uninteresting, right? Yeah. It, like it's like it's his extreme bias mm-hmm. in relating the story. That is the story. Mm-hmm. Like that mm-hmm. is the like the truth that because because truth isn't something you can extricate from the desire of the subject like right. it's part of the desire of the subject right. like that's like I think that's the thing like we want to have a desire free truth and I yeah. think that actually informs this whole privileging of immediacy mm. and so if you realize that desire is part of the truth then you you know you come to a whole different idea of what of what truth is and how to read it you know no that's that's fantastic I just quick note do you know that uh, Nabokov never wanted uh, a girl to appear on the cover of that book like ever in any printing because he thought it was about Humbert Humbert well not just that he wanted to maintain he, if, 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 if there's a girl on the cover then it, everything is literalized yeah, and, yeah, and he wanted, yeah he wanted to maintain yeah. that ambiguity although he liked he liked Kubrick's film I think oh is that right I think he did. Well, yeah, that makes him. Sm- I think he did. Makes him smarter than Stephen King, who does not like The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know, I know. King hated The Shining. Uh, yeah, but I think even though Kubrick, he, he, and because he had to at the time, he used a sixteen-year-old. Yeah, yeah. W- which sort of violated the thing, but uh, yeah, I think he he liked it anyway. Yeah. So, no, that that seems like a good good stopping point. Yeah, definitely. No, that's fantastic. You well, you said it's really funny to me that you said like, well, this could take a very long time about um, talking about um, um, about uh, bias and tr- and I think you nailed it in that line, which is that like you do not. And I just want to re recapitulate that because I think it's so nice is that bias is not something that you subtract. Uh, it's it it is some, to to get to the truth. It's it's a part of it. Uh, and in fact, it's an integral part because that is integral. It, yeah. th- that is yeah. where the desire and subjectivity lie, and that yeah. these are the things that you cannot remove. And so, the impulse to remove them uh, is an impossibility. And because that's an impossibility, that leads one to conclude: well, there is no truth. This is no, no, no. There's just no possibility of removing desire and subjectivity from right. anything. And that right. I mean, yeah. I think that's true. I think it's right. Okay. Very good. Is that it? All right. Uh, Over and out. (laughs) Yeah.